Hello and welcome to the K Voices podcast. This podcast follows the K Enterprise's mission to implement holistic solutions for security, environmental, and social problems. Through this podcast, K Enterprises and MI Cynic join forces to talk about today's areas of concern and present innovative solutions. Welcome everyone to our very first episode of K Voices. I am honored and delighted to be presenting this new series to you, which will be focusing on security and solutions for a brighter world. Today's episode will focus on the post-COVID world. And to that end, we have three fascinating guests to bring to you. Mr. Gracias Casongo, Professor Yunkap Kwankam, and Mr. Elliot Wilson. And in a moment, I'll be doing brief introductions and asking our guests to step in on what I'm certain will be an incredible debate on how we can make this a better world going forwards. Mr. Gracias Casongo is the CEO and founder of K Enterprises, a company that's focusing on bringing solutions, modernization, and security. Professor Yunkap Kwankam is chair at the Innovation Working Group on the Global Knowledge Commons for Medical Health. He is a world-renowned health, telemedicine, and medical expert on policy, strategy, and practice, and has worked with the World Health Organization. Additionally, he is an executive director of the International Society for Telemedicine, chairman of Telenet Health International, a startup. Mr. Elliot Wilson is a former clerk at the House of Commons, writer, strategist, and co-founder of Pivot Point, as well as a senior advisor to the RGB corporate. Well, I've certainly got a, a star lineup today, and I'm so thankful that each of you could join us for uh, for this discussion, this debate, um, this deep dive, if you will, into the post-COVID world. Because as uh, as we are soon approaching the point that um, uh, certainly the developed world is becoming increasingly vaccinated, uh, the question now becomes, of course, what what exactly does the world look like after this after this pandemic? if indeed there will be an, an, an after, and I will leave the, the three of you to debate this. But I wanted to ground the conversation and to start off on the point of, of modernization. And specifically, when we are talking about the, the technologies of tomorrow, things like digital transformation, cloud computing, automation, AI, how these factors will, will affect businesses tomorrow. And with that, I'll leave the floor to, uh, to whoever would like to get us started here. Sure. First of all, Thomas, thanks for having us here. We really appreciate it. And uh, uh, greetings to everybody here who, who's joined us today. Uh, yes, the, the topic of modernization is quite broad, and I totally agree with you. When we look at specifically a post-COVID world, the challenge we have right now is kind of like, is is understanding, you know, realistically, is this something that's going to be, um, you know, there for the long run? Is COVID-19 going to be the, the discussion we're going to have another in the next, let's say, 50 years still? Or is it something that's here for maybe 10 years? We don't really know definitively. And thankfully, with Professor Yunkap here as, as, as a health professional, um, we're observing all these new variants. And it just, you know, brings a lot, a lot of concerns in regards to, you know, the monetization agenda. How do we adapt with these changes and, and transformations? 
I think there's always a, a, co, uh, <clears throat> a, a cohesion between the modernization challenges and the security challenges. And we're noticing across you know, the world how these all interchange. But also uh, countries that are struggling to adapt due to infrastructure gap, uh, infrastructure development uh, challenges that sometimes it could be finance all the way to uh, adapting to uh, uh, to these these the transformation of things uh, will struggle or will struggle with what I, be, what I believe and what we're observing generally with the, the modernization uh, uh, issue because modernization implies that you're, you're shifting from one uh, from an old way of things to simplify because we just for our, our listeners today to something new and this is a phase where we need to adapt. And those who are able to adapt uh, and have the right infrastructure in place can adapt much more rapidly. The big question I have when I think about these things, for example, like, you know, when we look at across the world, what's been happening, you look at across the UK, for example, how we've been able to uh, adjust uh, some of our practices. The lockdowns were really rough. I mean, like, um, psychologically, you look at demoralization and and, and, and how, do, how people cope with that and the fears people now have of another lockdown. So what do you hear about new variants here, new variants there? It does create this sense of uncertainty. And although there's a lot of uh, the, the efforts in regards to the vaccine, the vaccination is going great, uh, overall, people are still concerned. Don't really know if this is going to be the new trend or is this something, is it going to be something that is going to be completely eradicated and, and, and something we can look back uh, as well. But when we look at, on an EMEA point of view, uh, these, these also present security challenges where, for example, um, you see certain groups or activities that are, that are actually shifting much more in a cyber, cyber front, uh, also on a government and policy level. Uh, you know, what does that mean? You know, how are people able to cope and adapt with these, these shifts? Uh, so uh, I'm very keen to expand upon this in detail, but not to really take the mic too much here. Well, I'd love to hear uh, from, from, for example, Professor Youngcap, because I know from your your end, you're head of as as head of health as well, and also as as an expert in health. I mean, what are you what what are your thoughts in regards to this, actually? Well, thanks, Gracias. Um, definitely, uh, we we've learned a lot from the the pandemic, and uh, as to the future, uh, it's clear from the current evidence that um, the, some variants of the, the, of the coronaviruses are going to be around. Um, hopefully in the, in the years to come, this will be something we've learned to live with, uh, much like uh, in, you know, when flus um, mutate over the years and each year um, a new vaccine um, is adapted to, to match based on previous years of um, conditions. I, I foresee a future a very similar to that in terms of uh, COVID-19, where it is around, but we've learned to live with it thanks to vaccination programs. Uh, so I think that's, um, it's here to stay. That's uh, Lockdowns, I don't think we're go is going to be that bad in the future, but we have learned something from uh, lockdowns. And one of the major learnings from lockdowns is um, how to do things from a distance, um, uh, whether it's social distancing you know, in person or more appropriately uh, doing things from long distances through the various platforms that are now available, much like uh, the platform we're now using instead of a, a live, uh, instead of a face-to-face -face meeting uh, in person, we're now meeting on, this, on Zoom. Uh, there are many other platforms as of course, you'd recognize 
for uh, carrying things, carrying on meetings and, and other forms of transactions, including, of course, in the health sector, where telehealth has really picked up. Uh, the pandemic has been pretty much a global proof of concept for telehealth. Tele, uh, from the Greek meaning at a distance, so telehealth is simply health at a distance. As I said, uh, the pandemic has taught us to do many things from a distance, and uh, we expect telehealth then to remain uh, a main feature of health services throughout the world, even after uh, easing from lockdowns and because it, it's convenient. Uh, it saves people travel time. It saves um, in, in other contexts, particularly in the developing world, it saves them the risks of travel, uh, the cost of travel and the time uh, of travel. If you can manage to orchestrate um, the transactions, the health transactions you wish to orchestrate uh, using telehealth, there be considerable savings involved there. It's also um, a force multiplier um, in the sense that given the dwindling ratio of health workers to the population, again, particularly in the developing world, um, doing things at a distance enables health workers, it extends their reach beyond their physical presence. So it's a, it's a force multiplying in that sense. And so one person can uh, interact with uh, uh, and have patients benefit from the experience, even though that uh, providers, you know, are very far away um, in terms of distance. And even sometimes in terms of time, you know, being able to do things asynchronously uh, it is, is another offer. So, but, and to link it back to uh, the theme of uh, modernization, for example, in the old days, modernization used to refer to computerization pretty much. Uh, I think in the UK, the modernization agency, you know, basically focused on, on computers. Um, today, modernization, particularly in the health sector, uh, has to do with uh, digital, going digital. Um, it, it all, and all the attendant um, systems that go with digital, including artificial intelligence, blockchain, etc. But digital is it. And health systems of the future uh, will depend very heavily on digital. So there's a lot more that we can say about that. But I'd like to uh, pause there and give uh, um, Elliot, for example, a chance to chime in. Well, uh, thank you. And uh, can I just say initially what a, a pleasure it is to be to be here and having this discussion. I think it's very important and uh, I think it will be the first of many. Uh, I just wanted to pick up, Gracia, something you said about uh, lockdown being psychologically very difficult for people. And I think one of the, the striking things about the pandemic has been the communications piece. Uh, this is really the first global pandemic of of. Uh, uh, a proper size that we've had in the the social media age, um, and I think that's that's had a huge effect on how people perceive it. It's also come at a time in which politics and and public discourse in general is very very polarized. I mean, we see this particularly in America uh, between the Democrats and the Republicans and supporters of President Trump, former President Trump, uh, and and opponents of him, and I think that's filtered into the discourse 
about the pandemic because you find that some people seem to have become instant epidemiologists in a way. Um, people, you know, grab onto a little bit of knowledge or something they've read. And particularly, of course, if that's slightly counterintuitive or countercultural, they they feel not perhaps un, unnaturally that they've got something different to bring to the discourse, but they do so with incredible confidence and uh, a very sort of partisan certainty. So lockdowns now are being portrayed not just as an inconvenience or as something that psychologically we have to cope with, but they're being regarded as a, an assault on liberty. Um, you know, wearing masks is is regarded as not just a, a, a imposition or something that's a little bit of a nuisance, but an absolute uh, contravention of of rights and, and basic humanity, and you see all sorts of absurd comparisons, you know, with um, anti-vaxxers portraying themselves as being in the same place as, uh, you know, Jews in, in in Germany, in particularly anti-Semitic times in the 1930s. And I think that hasn't helped because we now see things like lockdown either as an absolute cure to the current problem and the only way we're going to get out of it, and an almost a sort of masochistic desire for a harsher and harsher lockdown, because if it's hurting, it must be working. Uh, and on the other side, you see people who are saying, no, this is absolutely ridiculous. The government is, has an alternative agenda here. It's trying to control us more than it did before. We must absolutely reject these. And I think what's fallen down the middle, uh, as in so many subjects, uh, these days is a balanced approach to, well, let's have a look at what works, what is going to help us through the next six months, 12 months, three or four years and, and longer. And I think that's that sort of polarisation has been a very strong feature of media coverage and communications about COVID. And I think it's been a very damaging one in some ways. And actually, uh, to, to contribute to what you're saying, uh, Elliot, you're spot on. It is the disinformation um, uh, uh, campaigns we've been observing carefully within the last, from two, early 2020, uh, also I would, I totally echo what you're saying in regards to, you know, the, the old Trumpism issue was a, a really big uh, concern. Uh, and, but but also looking at how, uh, I, think, I think one of the things we've become more aware of, and it's slightly going towards the security discussion, because uh, again, there's a core, core cohesion, we, you know, a correlation between the modernization agenda and challenges in that area, but also how the, also the third security challenge as well. And let's not forget that uh, when the, we're, we're in a phase where I would overly say that demoralization is, is, is a case now. People are demoralized to feel hopeless. <laughs> the jobs, businesses are closed. Um, uh, does, does this unemployment skyrocket? And, uh, and the big, the big concern that, that we have now to uh, look at it holistically is that with the big disinformation campaigns that have been actually spreading uh, and the disinformation campaigns have been going on strategically where you have groups who are, uh, we can look at it from a state point of view, all the way to, uh, let's even narrow it down all the way to uh, dissident groups who believe, as you said, Elliot, that, hey, you know what, this is, they're trying to take away our civil liberties. We should come together. And, and then there's a pattern here that we'll, maybe we'll discuss more in the security side that we're noticing in detail. Well, I think we made uh, uh, a wonderful bound, leaps and bounds into the subject of uh, modernization. And actually, I agree with you, Gracias. I think now we're venturing into security because these two things are difficult to separate one from the other. 
And if the pandemic has taught us anything is that if we are to modernize, then we must also be talking about how to securitize. Uh, both of these things are, are coming together increasingly uh, more than ever before. And uh, with that said, I'd like to now talk more specifically about security, uh, about the challenges, the security challenges that are facing businesses today. Uh, and of course, tomorrow in a post-COVID world, what do governments and institutions have to worry about tomorrow? What are these risks? And um, and what are perhaps your observations uh, about the moment that that is going that we're living in now, and that we are transitioning into uh, towards a post-COVID world? And um, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well on uh, cyber threats, uh, and perhaps uh, the, which kind of cyber risks will uh, will be talking about in in the future. Uh, Thomas, thank you, thank you for for this this uh, very great great topic. Actually, uh, so the issue of security is is. It's quite vast, but I was trying. I'll do my very best to narrow it down into 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 chunks. So, if we look at it first of all on a national level, what, what we're noticing now is because of, uh, as Elliot also emphasized, you know, people are holding on to anything they can hold on to that can give them a bit of like, you know, I I'm I, I'm aware of what's going on, uh, and to simplify the language, I will not be uh, deceived. This is a conspiracy. And the other side of the spectrum, especially into the vaccine uh, the vaccine issue, people are, have had. Uh, there's been a spread of disinformation. We believe that if I have the vaccine, I will mutate and become a, a zombie. I'm being, I'm being sarcastic, but people are really scared. They, they there's a lot of, and also when you hear that, uh, you know, this, uh, if you chew, if you if you get vaccinated from, let's uh, <laughs> Moderna or the other, not to be too specific, uh, you know, you you might have a blood clot, and, and uh, it's going to be problematic for you. And and you know, how would this affect to women who are pregnant? So there's a lot of disinformation spreading. Uh, the cyber threat now is, you know, disinformation is lucrative. We don't know this, but it, it's, it's lucrative. And uh, uh, you look at state-sponsored terrorism, where let's not forget there's five main categories of terrorism, just to, to uh, educate those who are with us today. And the first one is most commonly dissident terrorism, where you have rebel groups and groups who are actively motivated uh, by certain, uh, you know, um, ideologies. Uh, but mainly, uh, it's, it's really like, you know, we believe that we have a, a sense of right or just justice to do certain things because we believe that the policies that are put in place are not good for us. They don't fit our, they don't meet our, uh, our, our perceived uh, human rights. Uh, then you look at, for example, extreme left and right wing issues where you have uh, uh, the best issue recently. You saw how polarized the U.S. has been recently and, and uh, with the new Biden administration doing everything they can to, you know, build back better. And, and, and it's, it's, it is a challenging agenda. Uh, and also, uh, this is the same issue across, for example, uh, we've seen this spike uh, throughout the pandemic and it's still ongoing and, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. Then you look at now, radical, uh, you know, um, religious terrorism, where religious groups take advantage of the pandemic and spread disinformation and, and actually, uh, you know, they're using that as an advantage point to actually uh, recruit more and actually expand radical activities. Uh, the concern we have is actually whilst we're all distracted folks on all these things, there are activities happening all the way to the, uh, across the Pacific. And we're, we're carefully observing that pattern and it's, it's quite concerning. And I believe Elliot will also contribute more in detail in regard to this, but not to dig too much. The final uh, two categories are quite common as all is uh, state-sponsored terrorism. We have states taking advantage of this and, and there's now this kind of competitiveness is happening right now where we're, you know, whoever can produce the best vaccine and it's been, it's been, a, it's been a game for a bit. 
but at the end of the day, those who are affected by by these issues are are, are, are people. Uh, you know, you may be in a country where you're noticing a lot of uh, spread of disinformation, and it's, it's affected families. It's affected, uh, and and in some cases, uh, governments don't know how to tackle this. And it's not just disinformation; it's also malinformation and and misinformation. Uh, and we will expand upon this in this discussion. Uh, the, the final area we need to think, think out is the, the serious organized crime. So, uh, and this is where the cyber issue is is a big talk because uh, serious organized crime groups uh, take advantage of these issues and they think, you know what? Well, this is, this could be lucrative. How do we make money out of this? You know, we're all stuck at home. Uh, let's 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 do a big uh, cyber campaign. And the way to do that is actually, uh, you know, you, you were seeing a spike in cyber attacks. Businesses are vulnerable. On a baseline as a business, as an NGO, as a government, if you are not actually embracing uh, this digital transformation, or uh, you you will be uh, you will be on the receiving end. It's, it's very concerning. And from 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 a joint point of view with partners, we look at ways to secure you as a government, secure you as a business, but also ensure that you have the right uh, uh, support for large uh, you know projects. From an ESG point of view, the way to infrastructure development, from a health point of view, if you because if you don't actually modernize your health sector, this creates ga- uh, it, it, it actually uh, stimulates and actually gives. If I can use, uh, uh, it gives these terrorist groups uh, something to 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 use against you. So you know you need to tackle these issues sustainably. You need to have a robust infrastructure in place, like telehealth, which we'll discuss in detail. That will actually uh, encourage people to to trust you as a government and say, well, our government does have our best interests at heart. Uh, but the, the the cyber threat, and not to take the mic again, guys, the cyber threat is 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 uh, is 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 a big concern right now. And if you don't have if you have Norton antivirus and all these, that's not going to protect you from the current threats we're seeing. Well, I think there's an interesting lead on from that in a sense, which is around security in terms of vaccination itself, because obviously the the response to COVID-19 has been the vaccination program in, in countries around the world. And the UK has has done a very good job, I think. Um, I think the uh, the appointment of Kate Bingham to lead the vaccine task force was one of the few things our government's got right in this campaign. But, you know, there are other countries like Israel, which has has rolled out the vaccine very, very quickly and is, is getting towards relative immunity. But, uh, you know, when we, when we talk about vaccines, we also hear stories about places like India, where there is a desperate shortage of vaccines, or at least a shortage of the ability to get vaccines to the front line where they're needed. Um, and, you know, I, I do a bit of, of work in, around defence and security. And one of the things that we often talk about in, in defence procurement terms is sovereign capability. And I think sovereign capability is something which there might be a read across with in terms of vaccination, because clearly the ability to manufacture vaccines and to develop them from a standing start, which, you know, AstraZeneca and Moderna and, and, and Pfizer have done um, is going to be hugely important, given that it seems that we will have more pandemics like this. Um, I'd be interested to hear what Juncker has to say, but I, I think that that's going to be an important aspect of uh, of security. And of course, that revolves a lot around intellectual property rights, obviously. And I remember uh, Mark Getty, uh, the, the famous uh, oil family, said 
a while ago that um, intellectual property was going to be the oil of the 21st century. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And if that is true, then I think the the security in cyber terms and information terms around uh, medical research is going to be hugely important. And I think that's going to become or at least I think government should start thinking about those in just the same way as they think about other defensive capabilities. And with that, I'd like to now talk about terrorism, which is perhaps a natural spawn when we talk about security. Um, but Gracias mentioned briefly the, the areas of, uh, of terrorism, the, the categories of terrorism. And uh, I want to talk more specifically about this because there's been some discussion about how COVID has changed or is changing terrorism as we know it. And uh, and I find this alarming and fascinating in equal measure to try to understand why exactly that is, because to a layman like me, you wouldn't necessarily put them together. Uh, but perhaps th this is where uh, the three of you might step in and, and to help me and the rest of our audiences understand uh, why uh, terrorism is, is linked to, to COVID. Would anyone like to step in? Perhaps Professor Juncker, we could hear from you first. Thank you, Thomas. It's, uh, this is, this is um, sort of new territory for me, the whole discussion on terrorism and, and uh, security at the, the levels of which uh, uh, Gracias and uh, Elliot so clearly outlined. Um, but let me see what, what I, I can contribute from uh, a health perspective. The, the, um, the, the, the concern about disinformation uh, the threat of disinformation uh, cannot be overemphasized. It's it's such a a dangerous thing. Um, take the simple case of um, you know vac vaccination against uh, against COVID and the uh, erroneous information that so easily spreads on the internet. As as you so eloquently put it, uh, Elliot, how people could um, grab on to. Uh, one extraneous bit of information, erroneous even, and still voice it and repeat it with such confidence that it becomes a uh, gospel to to at least uh, certain populations. And when that goes against you know scientific evidence as to what is good for people's health, it becomes you know a serious health threat to not only um, you know the the groups involved but to the population at large. So getting the right information to the right people uh, is important. And it's not clear to me how you do that, whether you can drown out the, um, the propaganda and disinformation with accurate information. Uh, and then it becomes a shouting match between. Uh, but I think the media, um, the media has a, an important role to play. Uh, in the US, they talk about you know, the three branches of, of, of uh, government or you know, the three branches, you know, uh, executive, legislative, and judiciary. I think the fourth branch, the media, is you know has a huge role to play in all of this. Um, and and with the growth of social uh, media, we, we see the tremendous power that uh, tech companies have in in terms of um, spreading information. Um, good if it's accurate, but also quite dangerous if it's uh, inaccurate information. And health you know, depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time, because the preventive aspects of health depend very much 
on individuals, self-reliance of individuals uh, armed with the proper information. In fact, uh, one of the uh, things we tout about the digital era is that if you arm people with information about their health and knowledge, then they can become health workers themselves. And as we know, health begins, health is made at home and only repaired in uh, health facilities. Now that's not an original statement, it's a quote from a good friend of mine, Professor Francis Omasa from Uganda. So if, if we're going to create health at home, people need to be armed with all the tools and these tools include uh, information and knowledge as to what they can do uh, to prevent uh, illness and the, primary, the first interventions that they themselves can manage uh, in their context when they do fall ill. So I'll stop there for now. That's wonderful, Cap. Thank you so much for a contribution. Gracias. I'm very keen to hear. Uh, I'm sure you've got a lot to say on, on this uh, topic as uh, you work closely with these issues. Um, what does terrorism look like in a post-COVID world for you? Uh, I mean, uh, one, one, one of the things we do with all our partners and, and LA being part of the family and Professor Yunkap is we, 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 we do look at the patterns of, of, of terrorism and the, co the correlation between, for example, uh, you know, what are governments doing, what are, how are businesses adapting, and also how can you contribute as an individual to tackling terrorism. Terror ta terrorism is something that affects everybody. It's not just this thing where only the government has to care of it and you can just stay at home and relax and do nothing about it. You have to be a contributor and for, for when it comes to the case of national security, everybody can, can play a part. You don't have to be some guy who works in counterterrorism to be to, to actually make a difference and contribute. So uh, in view of the P's that you, you've mentioned, yes, indeed, we, we need to be uh, much more aware that uh, if you're seeing disinformation, uh, being spread, you need to uh, tell your friends, family about it, expose it. And the way you do that is actually uh, open source intelligence, do research, you know, find out where that's, just, what is, where that's coming from. And to the terrorism, what's happening right now is if we look at specific areas of terrorism, the first thing we'll look at is, first of all, uh, um, radicalization. So online radicalization is increasing and it's very concerning. Uh, and uh, we need to be aware that this is going to escalate and with uh, the, the spread of disinformation around COVID, that's you know, creating a lot of, uh, of, of concerns. In addition, uh, what we're noticing also as a pattern is that it's not just, a, it's, 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 it's also uh, you know, uh, feeding into uh, the, 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 the challenges governments have right now where, because everything is so virtualized now compared to before, that they, they're struggling with how do we actually uh, identify uh, these activities without actually violating human rights. So it, it presents a lot of challenges on that front as well. So it, it's now to the responsibility of the public and everybody who are, no matter where you are in the world, um, precisely to contribute towards tackling these issues. So if you notice certain uh, propaganda, uh, expose it, expose it intelligently. And, 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 and also if you notice certain activities, that are concerning, raise awareness about it. And there, uh, here in the UK, you can go to the, to the uk.gov uh, website and there's a lot of sources for that. Um, but also in the US, uh, you can engage with the Department of Homeland Security uh, across uh, Europe, where, wherever you may be, you can engage with relevant uh, government. The only thing, the concern I also have in the second area, I want to talk about state-sponsored terrorism. Um, 
the state-sponsored issue is 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 increasing as well, and we have to be aware that um, you know right now, with uh, first things were a bit rocky with uh, a lot of competition between uh, the states proving that you know we were able to produce this and that. Um, there's been an increase of uh, cyber attacks from uh, specific countries, uh, na- notably uh, that it be direct or indirect. That's still to be discussed. Uh, Russia and, and China and and uh, proxy activities from uh, the likes of Iran, which is still a big issue. Uh, and we're seeing, for example, uh, uh, after uh, one of the, the, the leaders of uh, have been recently uh, assassinated uh, in Iran. The Iranians are the Iranian government is shifting their tactics and and they're recruiting massively right now. And you know, recently what happened in Israel, it does, there's a pattern there that's quite quite interesting. So uh, uh, we are concerned by that when we look at that. And it's important to be aware that this is this is a phase where radicalization will increase. So if you if you are if you're noticing the best way to identify if you see family members who are behaving a bit differently, they're isolating themselves. Be a bit closer to find out if they're okay. Uh, a lot of people right now, because of un- massive unemployment, they feel hopeless. So this means that, for example, they're more open to propaganda. And uh, the way to fight this is, first of all, to uh, first of all, don't be a distributor. So if you have disinformation come on, don't distribute it. If you're not sure about it, investigate it. Uh, and another way to do it, for example, is, and I want to talk about this very briefly, and I, and I hope that I'm not going too much in the air here and different topics so just to give you so much to take away today guys uh for those of you joining us today is that you need to ensure that on a baseline your mobile device is secure uh one one, one thing we notice across and this is more in a serious honest crime uh, issue uh no matter where you are in the world uh, that you be business and ngo government uh we're seeing a spiking mobile device um uh cyber attacks uh why because your mobile device is you you know, it, you know, it knows how your health, it, everything's there. Your bank account details are there. You, you do Zoom conference calls, your meetings are there. So the big concern now is because of that, uh, c- uh, cyber criminals know it's very lucrative. Uh, proxy groups that are operating on, uh, know that they can make a lot of money. And the way certain uh, state-sponsored activities happen is that they use proxy groups to actually uh, push for the agenda total deniability, of course. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, these guys make money. That's all they want to do. And they fulfill their agenda. Thank you for listening to this episode of K Voices. This series focuses on finding decisive solutions to critical problems. If your business, your organization, or yourself face a similar problem, please reach out to find out how we can work together. If you have a skill, talent, or zeal for solving problems, K Enterprises would be thrilled to know more about you. You can get in touch by writing an email to team at kenterprises.biz. This is your host, Thomas Brancato, and I hope you are as eager to listen to our next episode as I am to host it. Thank you once again, and I wish each of you a great day.